Hello and welcome to the Doula Tribe podcast. I'm Tess and I'm from the Nurture Doula Tribe. I'm a postpartum doula, a mother and I'm Irish. We will be focusing on mothers, families, birth, parenting and the postpartum period. I'll be diving into lots of topics around raising children. I want to speak to inspiring people and I want you to learn something. So make sure you tune in. Find me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast. See you soon. Hello and welcome to the Doula Tribe podcast. Julie Bell is my next guest and I'm very excited about this guest. She is one of my idols. She's a nurse, missionary, doula, birth passionista. She's a herbalist and she's the owner of Blissful Herbs. She's born in Australia but grew up in New Zealand. So she's experienced life on both sides. After completing her training as a registered nurse, she decided the best way to kill herself was to go on an outdoor adventure course. For the next 24 days, she threw herself overboard into frothy seas and cracked backwards down waterfalls. To the amazement of herself and her instructors, she survived. And then she spent the next two decades of her life in Southeast Asia as a volunteer and a human humanitarian worker. She can mark her experiences in terms of bizarre delicacies as she that she has ingested along the way. She can also give the movie Planes, Trains and Automobiles a run for its money. Julie's version is Jeeps, Junks and Tuk Tuks. She's mar- been married a cool quarter of a century and together they've welcomed four babies all born at home. They're 11 to 24 years of age They like to do mad things like free climbing, tall cliffs and buildings, running marathons, riding unicycles and getting brought home by the police at (laughs) 4am. It's all very interesting, Julie. So it's the passion of Julie's life to support women in realising their personal power and learning to wield it unapologetically. It's the joy of Julie's life to be allied with a remarkable cohort of creative and inspiring women who are a force of love and change in the world. Julie is the eternal student and constant journey woman, always seeking, learning, discovering and expecting. Into her 50s and beyond, Julie intends to continue to live radically, wage peace and make revolution. She has no plans to go quietly. I just want to welcome you, Julie Bell, to my podcast, Doula Tribe. I am very excited to have you on today. You are one of my idols. When I became a doula, everybody told me to follow you and follow your Instagram about Blissful Herbs. And I'm just very excited that you're here today. So thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thanks, Tess. It's really wonderful to be with you and have this chat. Yes, it's really, really good. We're going to have lots of very... I think, you know, in-depth conversations about maternity care in Australia. Mm. I want to maybe just, I wonder, could you just, you know, tell me a little bit about your life story and how mm. you became a 
you know a nurse and a doula and all that because mm. I know you've had like a very colorful life mm. all around the world even mm. yeah I think I look back over my life and I go well why did I do the things that I did and I think one of the driving one of the drivers was as I am an activist personality yeah and so the things that are probably like the compelling what compels me is the two issues of justice and love Mm, and really just wanting to you know share that in significant places and and so you know being a nurse seemed like a good way to do that and then doing you know volunteer work overseas but when I had a baby of my own (laughs) that, that did it really just like I can't believe how completely oblivious I was prior to that like my best friend was having all of these gorgeous babies and I had no insight or empathy whatsoever to understand uh, what she needed, yeah. uh, how to support her, or even just how to celebrate her and what she was doing until I had a baby of my own. And then, whoa, light bulbs splashing all over the place. And I began to realize that when you bring love and support around a birthing family at the time that they're bringing their little new lives into the into the world, at that particular point in their life cycle, if they do receive nurturance, love, support, respect, not only can it be a healing thing for any past traumas or disappointments there may have been, mm-hmm. but it just like it creates a, a positive spiral of confidence, healing, empowerment. And so I, I just realized if we can really love and support people well at the time that they give birth and at the time that they pass from this world into death it's so it's just like a really critical time Mm. that we can yeah just like bring healing for trauma and provide an empowerment that has a sort of like an exponential effect where they they feel centered and healed and held and loved and affirmed and they seem to sort of like it just gets passed on yeah so anyway I got super excited about that after becoming a mother myself and then it's kept going since then (laughs) yeah it's clear you're passionate that is amazing like little introduction there and I suppose can you tell us a little bit more about where you've lived in the world because that's really exciting for me (laughs) yeah well you know like I am Australian I was physically born here and my family on both sides are Australian and we had an ancestor seven generations ago who lived in Skibbereen in West Cork and she jumped, she ended up being transported here against her will. Oh, really? And there's a whole story around her. Her name is Eleanor Fitzgerald. Wow. And my middle name is Eleanor. Oh. So I didn't know about this at the time. So, yeah, so I was born here in Australia. Then I went to New Zealand when I was four with my yeah. parents, grew okay. up there, did my nurse's training there. Then I ended up in Hong Kong and China and other parts of Asia for the next couple of decades. How did you end up there? Like, I'm always curious. <laughs> well, I was I was going to go and be a nurse in a refugee camp. Oh, wow. But on my way, I heard about another situation in China with, it's actually with the, okay, so in China at the time and probably even to this day, the religion is very restricted. Mm. So there isn't freedom of religion, not really. Mm. So the there was a, they called it the underground church. It was Christians who were basically having to be Christian, but in a very clandestine way. 
And so what we did is we went basically to support them. Oh, and, wow. And, and people in other parts of Asia as well. So we, we did a number of different things, but we had to do it very carefully yeah. so that we didn't upset the relevant authorities, but also so we didn't put the local people in danger either. So yeah. it was all pretty cloak and dagger. I love it. Was it was quite exciting and thrilling at times. It was also quite depressing. Yeah. <laughs> it was very oppressive. The, yeah. the, the scene there was oppressive. I would say it still is. It's an extremely authoritarian government. Yeah. Um, I have some experience really of that because I worked in yeah. Belarus. You know, okay, but, right. Yeah. So I did yeah, a bit and, of orphanage work over there when I was right. younger. And yeah, it's very similar. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we did, you know, orphanage work as well. And there's, you know, huge huge stories around that and just like the the general idea that with authoritarianism you can't police belief yeah you can't tell people what to believe or what not to believe and that becomes you know that's why yeah I am a firm believer in democracy and I'm very anti-fascist in my views and I would say that those core core beliefs they do they do inform so much of I guess you would I grew up because I grew up in the Christian tradition the idea of mercy justice righteousness fairness ethics Mm. all of those things were really important to me and then the idea that being a social justice warrior would be a bad thing (laughs) it's like absolutely flabbergasting to me but that was a huge part of you know, what we were doing there. Yeah. But we ended up in Ireland yeah. for the birth of our very first baby. And while we were there, we registered her birth at the Skibbereen Courthouse. And later on in her little life, when she was doing a school project, we dug out all of the genealogy and found out about Eleanor Fitzgerald. Oh, wow. Counted down the generations on the maternal line, found that my daughter was the seventh generation and that Eleanor Fitzgerald's birth certificate was registered at the same Skibbereen courthouse as our eldest daughter. Oh, how and is that for syn- synchronicity? <laughs> yeah, and we're, and we're like, we didn't even do this on purpose. It was just like a yearning that I had to some yeah. to one day put my feet back on Irish soil. And Amazing. I don't know if you remember that there was a there was a a musical project at the time called The Long Journey Home. Do you remember that? Sounds familiar. Like for any listening, they might not realize Skibbereen is in Cork, where I am from, and that and that (laughs) and that you put up a picture on your Instagram, and I straight away resonated with it, and I was like messaging you immediately, going, "Are you like? Did you live in Cork?" (laughs) So that was that's exactly how we connected, really, around this. So yeah, it was amazing that that kind of my midwives that supported me, they are still actively midwifing back in County Cork so they delivered my brother 17 years ago like no way yeah what's the main midwife's name again Mary Cronin Mary Cronin delivered my brother Jack 17 years ago there you go that's exactly why I noticed as well the picture that you shared because I knew who she was oh yeah it's just so, so amazing there, there's just a more synchronicity isn't it <laughs> yeah even down through generations there's that there's that you know that connection mm, so yeah. that was really 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 special to us especially because Eleanor Fitzgerald 
she came here under duress. It was not by her choice. She did not want to leave Ireland. Wow. She was forced to because of, you know, various injustices that were occurring. So if you want to know what I am, like I am, you don't have to look very far. It's yeah, like just it's look in there. My blood. <laughs> yeah, in your blood. I love it. Yeah. And it's so important that we know our lineage and our ancestral yes. stuff because I've been doing a little bit around archetypes and, you know, right. being a priestess, which I would... Mm-hmm maybe suggest that you are (laughs) then you know we they embody and they know all about their lineage and their ancestral and they know a lot about their culture and how we got to where we are and yeah this stuff and I think that all of that is so important around childbirth so I've had the huge privilege of attending so many different families of diverse backgrounds and and faiths and spiritualities and I really believe that a woman's culture Mm. women actually need cultural safety and families birthing families need cultural safety around the you know at the time of their birthing and for anyone who doesn't know what that is do you want to just break it down Uh, a little bit it's exactly what you just mentioned about the priestess thing being in touch with your culture understanding what your foremothers did and believed and these strengths and resiliences that your foremothers possessed in your own lineage so if you want to know as you like because giving birth is such a real thing Mm. and it takes you back to a rawness and a realness about your essential nature as a human being that is completely different from the sort of the mad culture that we're all immersed in yeah something older and deeper and more real than the cultural sort of milieu that we might be in yeah and it's connecting with what your foremothers did as they were coming up to their birthing time, Mm. that kind of connects you to, well, how did they manage and what did they do and what was important for them and how come I'm even alive today Mm. so that I might be in this great privilege of going through the birthing journey. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's really interesting to me, especially when I get to attend births with that are multi-generational. So the mother and the grandmother of the birthing person may be there. present if they're not there present in person they may be there very strongly in spirit Mm. because a lot of people keep referring back to them and naming them and so Mm. they're kind of like in the ether somehow and it really is like there's a a connectivity there like uh, my philosophy is love makes birth work yes so I I love Sarah Buckley's work on that yeah your helpers the fact that oxytocin is the hormone of love yeah, and oxytocin flows most freely when a woman feels safe, respected, mm. loved, supported, and there's that sacred circle of love that embraces her. And for every birthing person, that looks different. It does. What is important to them to make them be able to just deeply, deeply relax, get mm. out of sympathetic nervous system dominance, mm. and get into the parasympathetic, so that they, so that all of those really, really deep relaxation and almost what's the word? you know, the, the kind of the, the hypnobirthing yeah. type approach of like deep relaxation is so, you know, it, it's really supported by that when she feels loved. Yeah. And part of loving people is deep regard and respect for their chosen spirituality and their ethnicity and their culture. Yeah. I believe that a woman's sense of culture around herself makes her feel safe. Yeah, that's and so interesting. Like, yeah, like in New Zealand... They have family whānau rooms 
Mm. At, in the in the birthing hospitals because it is so important that the whole family group comes in to support the birthing person. Oh, wow. And so what happens is that there may be a dozen or more people in the room. Oh. So because this was a culturally important thing, they actually created what they called family or whanau rooms mm. so that to, to accommodate that important, you know, cultural need. And that's just one tiny example. Like there's a, a thousand ways that we can do that. And there's also ways that we can, co- we can kind of contravene that without realizing. Yeah. But to me, that's just like an, an area of real interest and fascination. Cause I love people. I love the human story. I love diversity. I love that we're all not the same. Yeah. And as like, I'm obviously a Christian. <laughs> so my spirituality, my sense of connection with spirit is super, super important to me. Yeah. And you know, I experienced what I would say is a love baptism at the time that I was giving birth. That was so impactful to me. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. So do you want um, to talk a little bit about your birth? So you had one in Cork and sure. then you had yeah. two in China somewhere or Hong Kong, yeah. three. So what I did when I was, when I was overseas in Asia, whenever I was heavily pregnant, I would jump yeah. on a plane and go back to New Zealand. <laughs> What? And the reason that I did that is because free maternity care. Yes. And so this is my desire. Like I long for Australian women to have this privilege as well. Yeah. Where it's government funded, one woman, one midwife care, the woman herself chooses her her midwife. And there's women in New Zealand who've had the same midwife for, for three or four of their children. I love that. Yeah. And so by the, I believe that that enhances clinical safety because if you're yeah. with a midwife that you know you love you trust they're like a family friend they yeah. love you like a daughter mm-hmm. and they know everything about your physiology and the way that your body works and your mind works when you're giving birth yeah and you know I think that's you know it's it's really highly rated but the yeah. fact that it's actually funded it makes no difference to the New Zealand government whether you give birth in your home mm. or a birth center or in a hospital it's the same in Ireland yeah although it is going a little bit mm. medicalized like I've heard but sure. yeah. you know you still can choose a home birth in Ireland but people yeah. don't people they've scared yeah. everyone yeah there's a lot of fear yeah even in New Zealand there's like you know there's pushback against mm. home birth but the fact is is that if a home birth is not for you and you'd much prefer to be in a birth center or a hospital obstetric hospital with access to all the bells and whistles you still are in a position that you can choose your mm. own midwife to support you through that whole journey yeah amazing. Um, yeah and I, I guess like for me what I'd like to see in Australia was funding yeah you know, yeah if women totally. are going to undertake to say the system what's on offer in the system is not going to serve my needs and interests right now I want to have a, you know, I want to give birth with my own home. And I, and most of all, I want one-to-one midwifery care because I think that's best. Yeah. I think that instead of having to pay entirely out of their own pocket, yeah, we, you know, and this is what we've been advocating for for decades in Australia is some kind of funding and recognition from the government that not all women want to want to have a hospital birth. Yeah. And women want to be able to choose between the obstetric model of care, which is valid, and mm. thank God we've got it, and I'm glad it's there. Yeah. But the midwifery model of care is also valid, and we need the choice. 
Yeah, yeah. And they are trialing that in Melbourne, I think, with home birth programs. Yeah. But yeah. there's so many rules around it and you can just be exited from the program at any minute if you like tip from low risk to middle you know like small risk assessment crap like like I'd still rather have hospital run home birth programs than nothing yeah but we also need to have the option of you know independent midwifery yeah getting Um, rebates yeah I guess like because I'm I'm very much a, a feminist. So my my view is the whole point of feminism is choice, equality and choice. Yeah. And so, you know, not not all choices are the right thing for everybody. Just because the choices exist doesn't mean that you have to choose them. It just means that you can if it's the right thing for you. So to have independent midwifery, I think, is really vital. Mm. And I think when independent midwifery is properly recognized by the government it's properly funded there's proper insurance there's proper professional support and backing rather than regarding independent midwives as if they're some kind of untrustworthy cowboys when in actual fact they're the most highly trained highly qualified highly experienced professionals that we have yeah if we if they have proper support i feel like the their knowledge and I feel like it sort of it sort of influences the whole of the maternity care model. Yeah, yeah, it I has agree. Positive benefits even for people who are in hospitals who wouldn't dream of having a home birth and do not want to have one. So I I think for a healthy maternity care sort of system, mm. we really need to support and affirm independent midwifery, autonomous yeah, professional midwifery, yeah. and the home birth option. Even for those, even you know, even if you've got no interest whatsoever in having yeah because those midwives Um, jump through hoops to get their registrations and insurances like and they're always the most endorsed midwife like what they have to go through to become an endorsed midwife it's like it's ridiculous absolutely no question that they are highly trained and overqualified if anything exactly yeah and Um, that's the thing it's really difficult for them they make it so hard (laughs) <laughs> yeah and that the professional support is not there either mm, yeah you know, i've heard that yeah would be ease of you know they're not affirmed as if they're as brilliant as they are which is the annoying thing yeah that's yeah. it and, and that's a real gap isn't it yeah like, like, like they gap. should have practicing rights in hospitals transfer should be seamless and we've yeah. seen this occur i know it, this isn't hard this yeah is there's so many examples to... around the world like we're probably the highest yeah. nearly with America now on cesarean rates, it's gone ridiculous. Yeah. Especially for first-time mothers. Yeah, yeah, that's it. They're most yeah. at risk. So how was the birth in China and Hong Kong? Like, was it really different to here? Or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did support a few of my peers um, oh. to have their births in Hong Kong and China. And when I was seven months pregnant, I jumped on my aeroplane with my little ring cushion at one point <laughs> and my toddlers and I went straight back to New Zealand uh, and yeah and I found myself a you know a midwife that I liked yeah in New Zealand and I had those next two babies there in New Zealand yeah cool and then my fourth baby was born right here in Australia oh there you go so they've been born everywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cork New Zealand and Australia I love it Correct, yes. And were they all physiological, natural births in water or on land? or? Well, the first one, 
wife, I did have an amazing birth pool that we built from scratch. Oh, wow. But she wasn't physically born in the water. I just used it for wonderful labor support. I was falling asleep in the birth pool. The second baby was born in a shopping mall food court in <laughs> the breastfeeding cubicle of the parent care room, to be precise. Wow. But the placenta was born at home. And then the third baby was born just at home in yeah. New Zealand. A yeah. little little rental that we found because we were there for like six months. Oh, and wow. then the baby boy was my first actual home birth where he literally was born in water. Lovely. And yeah. Your, your last baby. Yeah. So I I planned a water birth four times, but only actually gave birth in water once. <laughs> <laughs> it never goes to plan, even like home birth. <laughs> but having having the birth pool available to get into for labor support for support and labor was like I would always recommend it like yeah. if you get in and you hate it you can always get out I know you might come back to it later who knows you never know what you're going to do in labor so <laughs> that's it that's it you just gotta trust your body eh? so do you yeah. have any like tips around what how women even start to look for the gold standard of care in Australia like where would they mm. start even in Victoria because this podcast mm. has been you know we have a lot of listeners in Victoria. Mm. What okay. do you think? What do you think women should like do? Where should they start? That you could take if you're actually thinking about these things is hop on my website, Blissful Herbs, then go to shop, and yep. then go to the subsection that says books and ebooks. Yes. So there's an ebook in there that says, what is it? basically like a list of resources for a better birth so it lists all of the podcasts all of the website all of the books all of the movies wow. it's all there I'll and share the link. Other to, but there's also three books okay and if you were to read those three books I reckon that would put you on a pretty strong footing to understand whether this is for you or not yeah and it would empower you and inform you to the point where it began to, it starts to feel like hey this is actually something I can consider so yeah. those three books are the Down to Earth Birth Book by Jenny Blythe. Oh, yes. Home Birth on Your Own Terms by Heather Baker. Yeah. And Reclaiming Childbirth by Rachel Reed. Yeah, love that one. So two of those are Australian authors, Jenny Blythe and Rachel Reed. Yeah. And one is an American midwife, Heather Baker. Maybe. And I love books. I'm a bibliophile. So to me, getting having a book in my hand to read and to refer back to and write notes in the margins and call my husband and say, you got to read this. This is amazing. Uh, no, those, uh, those are like a, those three books are like a primer for anyone who's considering either a normal physiological birth in, in hospital or, or birth center or is actually considering a home birth. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I love is that those books are written as if <clears throat> it's kind of like taking back autonomy and responsibility for your own birth, regardless of what the politics are, regardless of where you are in the world, there's principles there that you can apply. So what you're going to do for your birth is not going to be determined and dictated by the services that are or aren't on offer. Yeah. Because as we now know from the pandemic, what's on offer can change depending on all sorts of you know socioeconomic factors that are going on around us mm, but the yep. what birth is like and what birth involves that actually never changes yeah it hasn't changed it down through generations and i feel like these books reconnect us with the essence of what it is what's involved in giving birth 
Mm, um, and you beautiful. can make plans for yourself that aren't necessarily curtailed by what may or may not be on offer in your particular part Region. of the world. Mm, love that. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah. And, you know, I'm hearing like a lot of women say, well, I've been booked in for an induction. Well, they've yeah. told me I need to do this. And I'm thinking, you have mm. a choice. Like, mm. how do we get women to a point where mm. they know that they actually are autonomous <laughs> and yeah. that they can, you know, stop the good yeah. girl and actually take back their power. Yeah. I find right. like a lot of hospitals mm-hmm. are just having this really negative language and mm-hmm. coercion around mm-hmm. like intervention. I, I don't understand that because I thought mm-hmm. we were moving away from that and getting better, but it seems to be getting yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I think it, Particularly if, if women in their lives, they've been, you know, doing the work of, you know, healing from trauma and, you know, reclaiming their autonomy and asserting healthy boundaries and doing all kinds of like really positive inner work and, you know, healing and, and, and really they're sort of like seeking empowerment and, you know, overcoming all sorts of, you know, whatever challenges may have been faced in their lives and in their generational line. And then they go into hospital and it's super, super restrictive and there's unhealthy dynamics like coercion going on and mm-hmm. and then they react against it and just go what what's this about like why are you using such loaded mm-hmm. and frankly manipulative language yeah and that you know they're sort of like it it puts it puts people on edge yeah it and it doesn't make them feel like they're in a safe a safe environment where they're going to be heard mm-hmm. and validated and respected so while I recognize like the amazing work that many professionals are doing mm. within the hospital system to humanize birth and to try to provide choices and options, as well as trying to provide, you know, really good evidence-based care, the frustration that so many of us have is that so much obstetric care, it's not evidence-based at all. Mm. It's, you know, for example, women lying on a bed. It's like, I know. you mean we actually have to produce evidence to show why gravity and movement is helpful for the progress of labor like that's a thing <laughs> i know <laughs> or even just like you know we've we all have these frustrations around like the continuous monitoring the things that we do that are supposed to guarantee safety but we have evidence now after all these decades that demonstrate that they're actually having the opposite effect they're counterproductive to the clinical safety of the baby and the mother and then we start having conversations around you know what emotional and psychological safety informs clinical physical safety we are complex organisms we're not we are not machines <laughs> so there's you know so many things yeah. around that that lead women to the point where i feel like i'm not going to be able to have the safety mm. the autonomy yeah the respect or even to be allowed to just go at my own pace yeah unless i step outside the system yeah and so unfair isn't it that like Mm. I feel like even from dating scan to you know 20 weeks scan they start the Mm. fear mongering like there's this underlying kind of like oh you're not or your fundal height is not correct you have to go for another scan and that's like where it starts and then it's kind of like you Mm. go overdue oh god help if you go over the 40 days like 40 Mm. weeks because then the fear-mongering upscales to another level Mm. and then they start throwing out like you know accusations or random things that they've made up in their head about their Mm. your baby might die if you don't 
getting yeah. juiced and like you know terrible things are said to women yeah just, there I does seem to be this. sort of like an, an a mindset of looking for problems yeah yeah and it almost feels like each time you go for an appointment it's almost like you're you're going on trial and you're guilty until proven innocent and you've actually got to prove Mm. that you and your baby are fit and well and healthy and don't need this and so even if you are healthy there's a lot of language around what might happen and what could happen and so but I didn't realize they could predict the future (laughs) yeah oh my goodness yeah and it does seem like that and yeah there have been lots of reasons why why women have questioned whether this is going to work the Mm. the other thing that I've noticed is that so many of my clients they were the good girl they were trusting they went in they ended up experiencing the cascade of intervention they got really disillusioned and they really basically said wild horses could not drag me back to that hospital. Yes. So my most recent client ended up having a cesarean during the COVID lockdowns. So she had very little support when she was going through a very long and arduous labor with a posterior baby. And then she didn't have, you know, she wasn't able to have the postnatal support that she had planned because of the lockdowns and everything like that. So Really, it's like, I mean, having, being a first-time mum in our current hospitalised system is hard anyhow, Yeah. let alone the added layers of stress and lack of support because of the pandemic. Yeah. Which was really fun. And I've just attended, had the great privilege of attending her. She had a home water birth with her mum and her husband and upstairs waiting were her her in-laws and other family members. Lovely. And she did it all herself. And she she got not only her home birth, but she got her VPAC. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like I'm I just feel so much joy whenever I think of her and her emotional journey and how she got there and how strong and brave and independent she was. Honestly, it was such a joy just to witness her transformation. She just held her own. Oh, just like she was just holding power. her own power like the yeah. whole time. And we were just sitting there just witnessing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also just feel really sad that yeah. she would have to, it, in order to get what she really wanted, she would have to completely step outside the system like that. And I just can't help saying it shouldn't be this way. No. There should be the range of choices, the range of options on the birth menu should be much more nuanced than it currently is where women are having to like go all in or all out yeah um, and there's not much in between anymore no and especially regionally Mm. where I live I don't know about you but like Mm. regionally where we have an MGP program which is probably a good my first was born on in hospital with MGP midwife And look, that midwif- midwifery group practice, it is good because yeah. you do get one w- midwife your whole pregnancy. Yeah. And the only reason I'd say I didn't have a cesarean is because she trusted that I could do it and he was posterior. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, like that's yeah. a big difference and something that we cherish here where I am. Yeah. And, but yeah, if you want to go outside the system, there's one private midwife, maybe mm. two if we're lucky, who if she'll travel. And we have to yeah. pay nearly eight thousand like, dollars. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just so expensive, and 
yeah you know? and there's no not no room for extra stuff there if you want to have that experience that you want mm. like the government should be definitely supporting this because it's there's so much data in there around like the safety of it but they they yeah. focus on the bad yeah so it's a shame it makes it a very difficult climate mm. for you know young parents that are coming up trying to figure yeah. out what they want to do for their yeah. birth it and does. that's why I'm so thankful for the work mm. that you know some of these wise women have put in to provide this information and hand it to us I absolutely love Rachel Reed's website yeah I've you know inhaled everything that you know other Hannah Darlin and yeah. Sarah Buckley and so many others have done to provide us with the tools the information yeah. the evidence the research to be able to make really informed choices so I guess yeah. like my thing that I'm really passionate about now is I understand women wishing to birth outside the system. If they're going to do that, I want them to be able to do so as safely as possible, really well prepared, really well educated and feeling truly confident in their choices with really, really good contingency plans. Yeah. And we have highly intelligent, highly experienced wise women right here in Australia who have got the credentials and have got the decades of experience yeah. who can provide us that education. So I'm just yeah. going to say like, okay, if you're dead set that you want to choose to give birth outside of the system, there's a, a wealth of education and preparation that you can immerse yourself in. Yeah, there is. And I'm just like really encouraging families to take back their birthings yeah. and to take back their birthing knowledge get educated it's you know you don't have to go to university or go through midwifery school to get this knowledge yeah these amazing scholars in natural birth have been have have presented the knowledge to us and all we have to do is read and learn and immerse ourselves in it and yeah. you know and that sort of like that self-knowing that self-responsibility and that self-autonomy yeah and then sharing that with our, our sisters and our mothers and our aunties and multi-generational birthing wisdom is a huge thing that I'm really for at the moment. Wow. Um, and it really has been amazing to see mothers and grandmothers with some, you know, they have birth experiences up their sleeve. Sometimes they have birth trauma experiences up their sleeve and starting to reclaim and recover yeah. their confidence in birth and their ability to be able to support their daughters and granddaughters and, and nieces. Yeah, and, lovely. Yeah, people as they are coming up to yeah. having their babies. And so I'm seeing whole families start to recover and regain their confidence wow. in being able to support one another through their journeys. And I think that's because, you know, I'm so thankful for the system. We've got one of the best healthcare systems in the world. And when yep. I see what is happening in certain other countries we could mention, I'm so grateful. Yeah. But the fact is, is that there these are unstable times and the systems as we know them are fragile. Yeah. And so anything that we can do to empower and inform and educate one another will serve us really well. Yes. In terms of looking after one another, especially when there's any kind of you know systems come under stress or sadly systems even collapse yeah yeah I agree and I think we're in a really transformational time you know like mm. we have all this stuff coming on onto us now around AI and like you mm, know this digital right. age and mm -hmm. you know we 
it's no time like the present for us to really mm. focus on birth and you know birth mm. was around before medical systems you're even like mm. acknowledged <laughs> so mm. we've been giving birth for thousands of years <laughs> indeed <laughs> <laughs> we just have to remember what what yeah. it was like before the patriarchy before you know hospitals oh, came so in. much yeah and yeah, yeah and in so many ways it's going back to what worked yeah asking our our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers and our great-grandmothers what worked for you because obviously there were some things that did not work yeah and that increased risk and so a good question that I that I ask myself and I ask the clients that I work with I say what makes birth safe yes and there's universal factors but there's also deeply individual factors yeah. What makes birth safe for you? Yes. And so another question that I, I put to my clients is like, never mind what this what is on offer in your particular, you know, state or town or city from the system and trying to sort of like crowbar yourself to fit in with whatever is on offer. Instead, let's go into your imagination, into the visionary part of your mind. Yeah. Tell me what your vision is. For your birth tell me what your hopes and dreams are where are you yeah what sounds are you making what's the room like who's in the room with you what positions are you choosing how is your body responding what are you doing with your and i sort of ask sort of open-ended questions like that yeah beautiful. Um, often this is you know the the book birthing from within yes with its, its section on like drawing and artwork around what's really in your heart and it's drawing out what's and i have had women I've talked to clients who can remember even from early childhood the visions and the dreams and the imaginings that they had when they imagined themselves having their baby. <laughs> and so that's like encouraging them. So what happens is that when they're pregnant, then they look at what the system has on offer for them and then they try to sort of like squash themselves to fit in with that. Yeah. And sometimes we just need to take a step back and just go, what's really in my heart? What am I imagining? And Sometimes people sort of feel like, oh, you know, because I, I imagine that I would climb into the mountains and go and give birth in a cave, which is maybe a little bit kind of, but even if it's something way out there like that, you know, go with it. Don't, yeah. yeah go with it you, because you can recreate those. There. You can re- recreate those exactly. environments these days. <laughs> your cave might be in your bedroom, just not yes. on a mountain. <laughs> yeah, that's where I spent most of mine in my aunt's face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. I've seen that like that. So that there's that primal need. There's a yeah. primal need that's rising up saying, okay, for you to give birth, you need darkness, quietness, and yes. absolute privacy. Yes, you safety. probably need a space to go where even your your most closest people need to be just on the other side of. You need to create this little cave for yourself. And every woman is so different. Every birthing person is so different about how they want to go about it. And if you try to shoehorn yourself into a one-size-fits-all system, you may not discover those things about yourself, about how you're going to do it. Whereas at with an unhindered birth, autonomous birth, I notice people expressing their uniqueness about how what works for them. Yeah. Uh, for example, we have grandstander births with the cast of thousands. And I've been to a couple of births, because I'm like that too. I like to have lots of people around me all admiring me and praising me and thinking me I'm wonderful. I don't know. Every birth I've, I've done, I've ended up with the cast of thousands. 
Whereas, you know, other other people I've been with in birth, they have chosen, they, it's really important for them that they have total privacy. And yes. so I've been at a couple where all of us have been sitting out in the kitchen yeah, and they're alone in their chosen birthing room. And we're only allowed to come in and check on them at their invitation. Yeah. And that worked fantastically. Like this particular client got her, her home V back. Yeah doing that because she knew that that was going to be a really important factor for her. In well, her- she had control. Yeah, exactly. This is, just, and- this is the secret, isn't it? When we yeah. feel empowered in control yeah. of our yeah. space, our environment, the people that are yeah. in it, that yeah. that is safety. Yeah. So we could probably distill it down to control. Yeah. Autonomy mm-hmm. and love. Yeah. Yeah. Love us. Yeah. That's amazing. And very I, profound. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I don't think any birthing person needs to feel any guilt mm. for reclaiming those things because when you reclaim those things for your birthing experience, mm. you're also reclaiming responsibility. And that's the thing that I notice with very independent-minded birthing families is that they have a very a highly attuned sense of self-responsibility for lots of areas of their life. Yeah, including the fact that you know there's a saying, birth is as safe as life gets, mm. and I really believe that. The fact is, is that for most people, getting into a car and driving to a hospital is the most risky thing that you'll do. Mm. However, birth risks they they're rare, but they exist. Yeah, and I find that independent-minded people they they don't gloss over the fact that sometimes things can and do go wrong. Yeah, and very even more rarely sometimes those things can end up being quite you know quite dangerous and quite concerning and they thought it through and they figured out a plan and nobody can guarantee you not even the hospitals can guarantee total safety and a risk-free so we have a very risk-averse society and I do find that independent people they have tended to to kind of look at their personal risk benefit algorithm very honestly yeah and they're really assuming responsibility and I think that in many ways that makes the whole thing safer for them because of the 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 level of responsibility they're willing to assume yeah like a sovereignty Um, like you're not just giving over your power to another person yeah I love that Mm. and I that's what I felt as well when I did it yeah that's awesome yeah, yeah. it's really amazing experience i think yeah. like you know that's the reason i'm a doula so yeah I'm, amazing like, I'm, i want people to have that sovereignty like i yeah. want people to see that they can have mm. this like i want to educate guide yeah. women to and families yeah. around that yeah and i would say to to everyone out there coming up to birth is even if you do plan a hospital birth educate yourself and inform yourself as if you're planning yes to have a free birth in a rainforest somewhere yes like seriously it's like if you if you have that information and that knowledge and if everybody prepared themselves and educated themselves and did as much homework as these free birthing couples I tell you what we would all be better off yes even those of us who have absolutely no intention of you know being one of those DIY hippies that kind <laughs> yeah. of cracks me up really because it's such a stereotype it's like i would I say about i don't know five percent of the 
the free birthing people that I've chatted to are actual hippies. I know. <laughs> I agree. One of them. <laughs> I know. I agree. I agree. <laughs> now, I, w- I want to just ask you quickly a little bit about your herb, you know, how you got into the herbs and how that happened. And, yeah. you know, just tell me a little bit about that. Give yeah. it a bit of a plug because I did. I do get your herbs for my postpartum clients. Mm. I love the the postpartum herbs with the yeah. the bottle, the peri bottle. The peri bottle. Oh my gosh, it's so good, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. like, and I put all those herbs in yeah. a foot spa as well for my women. And oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. I just love Beautiful. them. But yeah, I just wanted yeah. to, you know, quickly ask you how you got there and how that happened yeah. and yeah, that mm. the origin of that story. Yeah, so the origin story is that when I was having my home births in various places, um, I used to order a birthing kit from America. Oh. And as part of the birth kit, so all three times the, for the first three births, that is, I ordered this particular birthing kit and it made me just feel so excited and I had my special plastic tub that I kept <laughs> under my bed with all of my birth t- toys. It was like, it was like, <laughs> preparing for Christmas it was so much fun you know and there was this packet of postpartum sitz bath herbs and then when I became a doula here in Australia after I finally returned to Australia I really wanted all my clients to have this amazing herbal bath that I had enjoyed so much so I considered trying to import these from America I realized that was going to be way too expensive so then I started research. I thought, well, maybe I could just like buy the individual herbs and make the mix myself. So I started researching that. And then I was a goner. So anybody, if you start the journey of looking into how to use herbs in your daily life for your own well-being and for the care and, and nurture of your family and for treating everyday ailments and supporting wellness and healing, you will be a goner too. <laughs> one thing just leads to another and it just opened up this entire world of information and knowledge so I think with with my nursing background I already have a sort of a bit of a healer's mentality oh yeah so that's kind of a thing with me anyhow and it really comes from this deep desire that's a very ancient thing to help our loved ones feel better it's so simple we just want to make our loved ones feel better yeah and I do think that herbs offer they are they're like life companions yeah. Uh, and there's so much love and knowledge and like that's the desire of herbs too. I just want to make you feel better. You know? Yeah, yeah, I love so it. There's a, there's, a, there's a synergy there that when when you love herbs, you realize that herbs love people and that's one of my sayings like herbs love us. And for <laughs> me, do. I just sort of feel like I feel a div- like the love of a divine creator in providing these herbs for our benefit and our welfare, simply to try to make different parts of our lives just a little easier. Yeah. So that's yeah. my whole big love affair. I love with herbs, And I do, I really love doing blissful herbs. Mm. Every time I pack somebody's order, I feel like I'm wrapping some wrapping presents on Christmas Eve, you know, that kind of yeah, feeling. Beautiful. I, I imagine the joy they're going to get when they open their box and these amazing smells and fragrances come out. And then they've got some, some little simple things, like you mentioned the peri bottle or the birthing mm-hmm. comb and, you know, a warming, nurturing tea that has all of these side benefits yeah. and nothing nasty. It's all natural. Yes. The balms, the other thing that I Yeah, love the balms. Yes, I love yeah, the balms. Is, is that I'm using ingredients that are infused with love from 
from people on organic farms and family-based businesses all around Australia. And it, this, these are just like the best quality ingredients. I get super excited about my ingredients. <laughs> I love it. I'm thinking up like how I'm going to blend them and the benefits of each thing. And wow. the balms, you know, I use them every day myself. The, you know, and every ingredient in them, it comes from somebody else who is as passionate about their work as I am. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's an absolute honor to you. It's a collective kind of like beautiful love making, you know, a business, isn't it? Like that's what it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is. And it's like, it's, I work from my home. Yeah. I'm really the only, my only staff member. I do have a couple of helpers that, you know, flit in and out from time to time, but most of the work is done by me. Wow. So it sometimes means that um, this turnaround can be very slow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not Amazon. <laughs> and I'm, you know, this is these, you know, we're not a small factory or anything like that. Yeah. I would be completely snowed under if it weren't for my amazing husband who does about 90% of all the admin for me. Oh, amazing. It's kind of like I do the buying <laughs> and he does the rest. But yeah, without the his great help, partnership. I would <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we've always been partners in everything that we've done. Yeah. Like from the, from the absolute start and in all the different adventures that we've had, we've always, worked as a team so we still are oh wow Um, that's a good marriage tip (laughs) it is a good marriage tip Mm. is because we yeah we really believe in equality in marriage yeah Yeah. and we so we do have a like I would say a a feminist critique about that and very much wanting to marriage to be supportive and affirming for him and for me yeah so we have lots of fights and lots of arguments and you know I'm I'm a yeller I yell a lot I'm working on that I talk a lot. Have you noticed? Oh, well, <laughs> he's very he's very quiet and reserved. But yeah, we we foils for each other and we balance yes. each other out. And I have to give him so much credit because, yeah, like the doula work that I've done, he holds the fort every yeah. time I go away. Yeah, all of the the business that I've done, he's he's always there. He's always backing me and supporting me. And that that works two ways. Yeah, because when he was following his dreams and his visions, I went all over the world to support him and back him and we've always done everything together including parenting including yep. nighttime parenting and including household cleaning yes. <laughs> the bane of our lives <laughs> it is it's a huge thing and yeah. that's a whole nother conversation mental load and yes, organizational mental labor and the need for it to be shared it by does. all people who are living in the space <laughs> Yes, yes, it's huge, yeah. isn't it? I love that. And you know, for yeah. anyone listening, the the mental load is a, is a real thing in matrescence and what people activists yeah. around that are are really kind of pushing as well. And I love yeah. talking to people about that. Yeah. We are nearly at time. I really appreciate everything. Mm. Is there anything before we go that you want to let people know, like you know, about your about your work like what you're mm. doing right now is there anything coming up that you want people to know about yeah I guess like if you wanted to find me the things to google are Melbourne doula is I have a, a blog spot website with a heap of free information Love that. like everything that I've ever studied and learned about childbirth it's all in one place at that website so that you can access it for free so there's that then for if you have any Christian folk out there that are listening, I do have Ancient Gates, which is basically a a preparation for childbirth with some affirmation cards and worship music that's really based in in scripture for those who who are of that particular faith tradition. It's super, super 
beautiful and affirming yeah, and beautiful. hopefully will be a huge blessing for those who are of the Christian faith. Yeah. And then there's Blissful Herbs, which is, yeah, that's just something that I I focused to start with on birthing families. Yeah. But the fact is, is there's something at Blissful Herbs for just about every human need yeah. and ailment. Yeah. And it's just a way of being able to care for your family naturally you know, there is a time and a place to seek medical help. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of things that we can do in the meantime, even for things like, you know, mastitis, coughs and colds, headaches, hay fever, allergies, gut healing. There's so many things. Yeah. And it's like a huge adventure and just, you know, healing and discovery. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's our health, yeah. whether it's our, our, our parenting, whether it's the way we go about birth and breastfeeding, there is so much knowledge out there waiting to be handed to us that will encourage us and empower us and give us that sense of sovereignty that you mentioned Tess yeah there is there is Mm. and I love that thank you so much I really appreciate your passion your true inspiration to me and I'm sure now to everyone who's listening Mm. and yeah I hope everyone checks out your websites and Mm. yeah thank you for coming on well, I'm, thank you, I think I'm, I'm a little bit stressed okay <laughs> <laughs> so thank you just... Jess, I, I wish you all the best with your doula work and I'll be following you, you and cheering you on as well yeah thank you